This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. the Now News panel on AMI-tv. I'm joined again by Elizabeth Moeller and Michelle McQuig. And our next topic, Ontario has announced a number of changes to its labour laws this week. Among the changes are, include requirements to post salary ranges on job postings. Other changes include the banning of all unpaid trial shift for hospitality workers. And Labor Minister David Pacini says that the new language will explicitly ban the practice of those trial shifts. I mean, imagine telling an investment banker they're working for free today. You know, why should a server do it? So we're, we're making it very clear on, on trial shifts. And the legislation will also ban the loss or deduction of wages due to customers dining and dashing. By making it explicit, we'll be a leader in Canada um, and, and protecting protecting workers that, that dine and dash is not acceptable, and, but it's never going to fall on the backs of workers. And so now I want to uh, start with you on this one, Elizabeth. So which one of these labor law changes are you most interested in? I think I'm most interested in the law that really speaks to the no longer having staff come in to do trial shifts uh, without cost um, or without pay to the, the staff person. I, I've worked in the service industry, so this one hits close to home for me. And I think, you know, absolutely, there's a, there's a training period where when you're bringing somebody on, they are learning. So that's a, an investment in time from, from the employer perspective or from the trainer perspective. But I think it's also really dangerous when you're bringing people on without pay just from a, a labor and equity lens. And I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing sort of how that's going to play out. Like, is there going to be, you know, a, a reduced salary for people in their own training period? Is it going to be the same salary? Mm. Um, what will probation look like? All those kind of things. Um, you know, I'm, I'm also really excited about the posting of salaries, and we can get into that in a little bit. But I have some questions for jobs that where it's not as straightforward as you get this amount each each week or each biweekly period because there's lots of jobs that don't fall into that. So I guess the you know that'll be something we can unpack and uncoil through the through the segment this morning. Absolutely. And so Michelle, this was your topic that you you pitched to the the panel. So which one caught your attention the most? Well, in fairness, it was actually Joita's, but I had oh. debated pitching it last <laughs> week, and uh, we, then we shared a brain, and we're both considering pitching it this week, and this time she beat me to it, so it's all good. Um, anyhow, but no, the, I find this very interesting. Ontario is making a number of, of changes to the Labour Code that all seem fairly um, off-brand for a, a, a government that generally tries to uphold the status quo, it is, is definitely not particularly seen as pro-labour. But you're seeing all these measures in, in new legislation in the past couple of weeks. There is a new labor minister, so I don't know how much of a reflection of that change this all is. Um, those generally originate from the top down and don't necessarily stem from an individual minister, but it certainly is a nice look for David Puccini coming into this file. 
And uh, I, the ones that really jumped out at me are one that we hadn't mentioned yet is the, the explicit banning of Canadian work experience for people. I think that's a really interesting one. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we have talked at some length about uh, the difficulty that foreign workers have in, in getting work that that's appropriate to their training and skill level. Uh, even Joita mentioned last week the anecdote we've all come across about the doctor driving a cab or some such. Um, so specifically banning employers from demanding Canadian work experience, I think is a really interesting and and, and worthwhile step. Uh, The other one that jumps out at me too, like Elizabeth, would be the salary transparency issue. Uh, Like you, Elizabeth, I I love your your questions about the specifics of the rollout for the the Dine and Dash legislation and and the, uh, the trial shift one great points uh but i i also share your questions on the the transparency because the, you know there are roles for which this will not necessarily be as helpful uh you i guess we need to have some guidelines on how to share this the the real salary in a way that's impactful to people and that they can understand and, and compare apples to apples when making their employment decisions but mm-hmm. it is a really interesting step and it potentially has implications around addressing historic wage gaps and a whole other thing a whole list of other things yeah so for me that is really the biggest key of this new legislation that's the really um the the really juicy meaty uh like kind of legislation that's going to come in that's going to have the biggest impact i i appreciate both of you highlighting different ones and and there are value and there's an important um kind of uh step for each of these to really have an impact on the job market i just think posting of salaries just across the board is going to really impact the entire mm-hmm. uh workforce because not only is it going to impact people who are being hired but now any employee who's already within the uh, company or corporation, if they see a job posting for a position that may be similar, they can also immediately kind of compare what their salary compensation is and, and then look at what the company wage is. And so you, you better inform yourself as a worker already. Whereas, you know, as you mentioned, Michelle, it's uh, the removal of the need to have Canadian experience. The, the challenge with uh, the job hiring process, it's very subjective. A company and hiring manager can still make decisions whether they they will vocalize it or not vocalize it on what they look for. They may still favor someone who has work experience that's more local, and then they may define it a different way or view it differently. But mm. I, I think there's still kind of uh, like loopholes or, or ways that they couldn't kind of navigate that without being discriminatory. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I do also agree that the um, the ending of trial shifts is very important, as you mentioned, Elizabeth. I just think that that aspect has less of an impact because it's very focused on that hospitality sector. And as we we mm-hmm. heard from David Pacini, it's like it'd be you're not going to ask an accountant or 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 a doctor come and do a trial shift. You know, that's just very industry specific. So I think that that uh, job uh, wage posting is going to really have the broadest impact. But um, Michelle, you kind of teased and, and pointed on this about how this can potentially uh, kind of close that wage gap. So expand on that a bit more for me. Well, I, 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 this is not an area where I have a ton of expertise, but I have done some, I've, some of the reading I've, I've done recently has identified the fact that there is still in 2023, a wage gap between men and women, and that historically, and not just historically, but today, apparently, um, women, according to this study that I read, earn 84 cents on every dollar that a man makes, which is wild. So we know that gap was historically much, much, much larger. It has closed. There's obviously still a ways to go. Uh, I like the point you raised, Alex, about 
internal uh divisions we've seen and heard stories all of us i'm sure about you know person x gets hired for a job that person y used to do for fifteen thousand dollars more uh those kinds of questions i think would be well served by having greater greater transparency it'll be great for workers to be able to make better informed decisions about what they're looking at um but again as with any legislation and you guys have already highlighted so many ways this is the case with this one it only really just got tabled i think yesterday uh, but the devil is in the details with any of this legislation and there's going to mm-hmm. be we need to know some specifics looking at the wage issue specifically um you know obviously you need to figure out what you're going to are you sharing hourly rates is it an annual salary what comes with it are there other compensatory things that you need to account for are there benefits are there pensions are there uh are there other factors that need to be factored in here so it's not just wages that are of interest to people and i don't know how far that kind of transparency will go but all of these things are the factors that people weigh when they're trying to make an employment decision and they Mm -hmm do all have implications for, for the various identity groups that people uh, discuss when just mulling these issues. So uh, it's a great start. And I think it could go some way just, pro- just by providing, providing data. If you have data, you're in a better position to make analysis and potentially make some data-based decisions. So having that is a really good start, but again, um, data quality uh, will remains to be seen. <laughs> Elizabeth, you yeah. you mentioned that you had some questions, some concerns about what this will yes. be. Expand on that. Like, what concerns do you have? Yeah. So, I mean, one of the articles I read said I believe it was thirty seven percent of all jobs online um, posted a, a you know a salary, a wage salary, and then I kind of thought, okay, so if other jobs aren't, you know, what is the reason? So are they, we've talked about hourly wage um, or hourly wage, you know, what about people that work on commission or, um, yeah. you know, people where you're hired for like a project or, you know, gig work's becoming a lot more common. Um, and so while I think there's absolutely a need for this, a lot of our workforce now isn't sort of that salaried based. There's a lot of sort of flexi work. There's a lot of sort of um, work that's done, um, you know, gig work, like I said. And so I, I think Think about that standing okay but like let's dig down a little deeper like were those 37 percent or were all those jobs that were being analyzed um salary-based jobs it's it's pretty hard if you're posting for uh, a writer for a project and it's sort of ba- project-based um to post that and so again you know we've talked about this but devil in the details there you know certainly i think from a time perspective this will help so an employee who's applying i've applied for lots of jobs and it it it's nice to know up front is this going to be worth my time instead of you apply and you go to the interview and then you find out you know what that salary might be and go that's not going to work for my life situation um and from the employer side too you're not interviewing people endlessly and then figuring out okay mm-hmm. um you know this isn't this isn't working um so i think for me like what really resonated again like i said was that stat but really like drilling down and figuring out like okay but what are these jobs that we're analyzing? Like, is this even a job where a salary would be relevant? We don't, right. yeah. yeah. See, and, and you you started to mention a point there, Elizabeth, about the employers, because I, I also wonder too, like the impact on the employers mm-hmm. and the hiring employers that maybe, mm-hmm. you know, by listing, you know, the salary up front, the, the applicants are going to change. If there is a certain applicant who is expecting a, a certain salary and they're, they're seeing what the compensation is, whether it's too low for, uh, for what they feel that they're, uh, they, they should make or, or maybe it's, it's higher, you're going to get a different type of applicant and you're, you're going to be guessing less when you get through the final process. If you do uh, uh, kind of find someone you want to hire, it's not that kind of 
uh, I guess, mm -hmm. tense negotiation or, or yeah. trying, uh, the, it's, the gap is not too wide. But you may also see less applicants per positions depending on what the type of job is and especially if, if they're looking to hire for a lower a salary than what the industry standard would be or what the average wage for that is. You're, you're going to see less applicants as a result and it may force some some employers to change their their viewer approach to hiring and, and the level of compensation they would have to uh, give out. I think it makes them ask questions. Like, mm -hmm. what is the real yes. value of what we want here? What are we truly looking for? And what are we actually willing to pay for it? And I think, yeah. honestly, I, 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 in a former life for pre-journalism, I was involved in on a recruitment team with a major, uh, a, a very large Canadian company. I'll mm -hmm. leave it at that. But um that was a, a crucial part of any pre-screening conversations. I think any sound process does address that issue right off the top because that's a crucial one for both sides. Employers don't have unlimited resources. Employees have obligations they need to meet. And there are a number of cases where you will say the salary range for this is X and, employer, and, a, and a prospective employee will say, sorry, that simply doesn't work for me. And it's in everyone's best interest. If you can just say, okay, thanks for your application, best of luck and move on because they have a job to find and you have a job to fill. You just can't reconcile those two sometimes. Yeah, no, for sure. And I, you know, it got me thinking, Michelle, when you're talking about other things that maybe should be posted um, on all job postings that aren't. So, you know, is there other information that's really relevant that, that we're missing or potentially we need to think about, um, you know, as we're, as we're thinking about how to do a more equitable uh, job posting? So, yeah. Totally. Yeah. And it may be even like in the more information you provide, the more enticing it may be for mm -hmm. for, for an applicant to want to apply. Because if, if you are being open, transparent and, and highlighting all your uh, your benefits, the, the compensation, as you say, like, you know, from uh, a retirement plan, maybe there's a gym membership or things like that, you lay it all out, you're, you're going to see people are going to understand this is what the full level of compensation is beyond just this is what the salary range is. For sure. And I'm Elizabeth, your points about gig work is, is are really, really interesting. And I have not looked at this new legislation. I don't know to what degree gig gig, gig work is, is included or considered here, but it's such a great question. And those compensation questions that you just raised, Alex, we've talked a little bit on the panel about in the past about protections for gig workers who don't have any yeah. of those things historically. So are, you know, could, could there be a portable type of benefit system set up? I don't, there's no indication at this stage that this government is willing to go there. Um, but it's early days. And if these are reforms I didn't really expect to see. So that's a whole other sort of piece of the puzzle. But if those kinds of mechanisms existed, yeah, I think it would be worth including that kind of material in job postings. Absolutely. Just so people yeah. know exactly what they're getting or signing up for. Yeah. Okay, well, we'll leave the conversation there for now. But coming up after the break, the Canadian Federation of Independent Business is requesting the government address concerns over the dominance of e-commerce giants. Looking at you, Amazon. Michelle and Elizabeth explore the state of competition in Canada for small businesses. You're watching uh, with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Join us weekly for The Pulse with host Joita Gupta, who brings us closer to issues impacting the disability community across Canada. Watch The Pulse on YouTube 
or listen wherever you download your AMI podcasts.